Hello and welcome back to Reason for Hope. Today is a good day. We have our gift of life and we have our free will. And those are beautiful gifts of love that God has given to each and every one of us. And thanks for tuning in today. We're going to learn how to align our will to God's will, which will ultimately give us the joy we're all seeking. David Heideck and I are going to discuss with you the domestic church. And what is the domestic church? Well, it's our families, of course, and how we're going to strengthen our family and keep them together against all the forces that are pulling them apart today. And also, Teresa Tamio is going to be joining us from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. So for those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, Array of Hope is a nonprofit lay apostolate. We release daily reflections, lots of films on the faith and the saints. We release podcasts like the one you're listening to right now, and we create faith-filled music. And you can find all our music on Spotify, Apple Music, and all the major platforms. All the music you're listening to today is produced and created by Array of Hope. Also, you can find Array of Hope on all the social media platforms as well. Lastly, we need you to subscribe to this podcast. This way you'll be notified when new ones are released. Give us a good rating if you can. This really helps us to reach as many people as possible. So you might notice the theme here at Array of Hope is hope. It's hope because hope leads us to love and love leads us to God. And that's where we all want to end up, right? That's right. So hang tight and here we go. So this is a continuation of our Man in the Street at Boston College, pre-pandemic. Check it out. Man in the street, you never know who we're gonna meet. Man in the street, way of hope's man in the street. Uh, someday, do you think about having a family for yourself? Uh, yeah, for sure, definitely. How many kids have you ever thought about having? I don't know, I don't think I've gotten that far yet. Gotta find a girlfriend first? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you go to church with your family ever? or? Yeah, when I'm home, I'll definitely go with them. But we only have break around holidays. It's usually just around that time. So what are the main holidays you go to church to? Go around Christmas, obviously, Easter, Thanksgiving we'll go. I try to go, but it just doesn't always work out. How about here at school? Do you go to church at school? I do, yes. Is family important to you? Yes. How so? They're my nucleus, my support system, and I just enjoy their presence. Uh, do you go to church with them ever? When I go home. And how often does your family go to church? Every single Sunday. Oh, so they're devout. Okay, so they're Catholic, but you're not sure. Yes. Um, do you want to ever have a family yourself one day? I don't know. I just, I'm not trying to think about it. Is church an important component of your family on Sundays? Less now, but when I was younger, definitely more. And would you say that you guys, did you ever pray together? Yeah, we'd usually do um, grace before dinner. How about bedtime prayers? Um, when I was younger and being taught how to pray, but when I was older, not really. So you don't pray anymore? Sometimes I do. Depends on what's going on. Do you pray together as a family? During certain occasions. What are those occasions? Different deaths, illnesses, major events for the most part. So let me get this straight. So you only go to church when you're either really depressed or something huge is happening. Do you think about ever having your own family? Yes. What do you think that'll look like? I don't know. Two kids, maybe? I don't know. He's a boy and a girl. No, kind of two guy. boys. Two boys. Two boys. Would you raise them with some form of faith foundation, or uh, would you leave it up to them? Uh, possibly, but definitely leave it up to them. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty open to them, I think. 
Well, great. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, have fun your senior year. You're at the top of the ninth here. This is good. All right, good. We've learned some really interesting things here at Boston College. And I have to say, as a church, we got to work a little harder to get our youth engaged back into the church. Okay, so here we are back with Dr. David Heideck, our theological expert here at Array of Hope. Uh, We're excited to have him on board, and we always have some great discussions. So today's discussion is on the domestic church, which actually refers to the family. Now, this is a very important title that the church gives the family, and it says a lot about the family and what it's supposed to be. So Dave, what does this basically mean? There are a lot of things that we can learn from it. And there's many things that it can mean, but I think fundamentally it tells us that as the church is a family, the family is a church. So as the church is a family, the family is a church. The church takes the form of the family of God. And the baptized, for example, are children born of water and the spirit from the womb of the church, which is our mother, uh, with Christ being the bridegroom of the church, the husband of the church. Even our language for those who are leaders in the church and religious communities is familial. We say father, holy father, brother, mother, sister. Yeah. The family, for its part, takes the form of the church, of a church. It's the first evangelizing community. It's the primary place of Christian formation. It's the first school of prayer and Christian service. It's the place where the word of God is proclaimed and lived in real and practical ways every day. There is uh, an exhortation by Pope John Paul II called The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. Um, He mentions there are four general tasks of the family. Uh, In a prior podcast, we had mentioned two of them. Uh, What are the other two? Okay, so just to recap, the four general tasks of the family that St. John Paul II identifies in that exhortation are, one, forming a community of persons, two, serving life, Three, participating in the development of society. And four, sharing in the life and mission of the church. I'd like to focus on that, that fourth one right now, the sharing in the life and mission of the church. The family is to share in the life of the church. Clearly, the family is part of the, the ecclesial community, the body of Christ, the family of God, in which it finds not simply other people or families, but brothers and sisters. The family draws its strength from the sacraments and especially from the celebration of the Eucharist. It it learns from the church's pastors and it's accompanied by them through various stages of life with their respective joys and difficulties. The family is taught how to pray by uh, the church. So the family is also called to share its gifts with the church, gifts of talent, time, and treasure with the community, with the body of Christ to participate in an active way in building up the kingdom of God in the place where it's planted and and really to give of itself and for all the members of the family to give of themselves for the building up of the kingdom of God here on earth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get the importance of praying and worshiping together. And I also get uh, why sharing in the life of the church as a family is vital. But how do we share in the mission of the church? Um, What is the mission of the church? Well, the mission of the church uh, 
is really the mission of Christ. It's the continuation of the mission of Christ. Christ had a, a priestly, a prophetic, and a kingly mission. And it's interesting, every baptized person is baptized priest, prophet, and king. So we become another Christ at baptism. That's what we're called to be. And we're supposed to therefore share Christ's mission as the baptized with the world. So let's just, you know, quickly take each of those three. First, we can see that, that the um, prophetic ministry of the family is to be a believing and evangelizing community. What do prophets do? They speak the word of God. They call people to faithfulness and to holiness. Well, right within the family, that's supposed to be happening. It happens, I think, first and foremost with parents passing on the faith to their children. But then the family in and of itself is supposed to do that with one another. And then to be a sign for the world of how a believing uh, community, how those who believe in Christ should be living. And so, so just by the very existence of the family and your family living out these Christian values, what you wind up doing is being a witness. I think um, the end game is this, right? For the family become a, uh, a means to evangelize and share the faith to the world. But what about the family that you know, we have that are not praying together or possibly that are not even um, sharing the faith together. I think we need to rudimentally build a foundation uh, within the family so they can get really to the next level of what God intends the family to become. And that's, I think, that's challenge for a lot of parents that are not rooted in their own faith, for parents that are, are even lacking in the uh, understanding and the formation of the Catholic teachings, um, but have a desire and understanding that um, in order for their family to become strong, they need to practice these principles. They need to pray together. They need to go to church together. Right. First, you got to go to church. So, I mean, that's got to be the first commitment. Why? Well, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. Mm -hmm. And if the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, and if that's really and truly body, blood, soul, and divinity, our Lord, that we receive and along with receiving him, receive grace and power to live the Christian life. I think that that's uh, a first and, and very, very essential starting point. And then from there, from making a commitment to going to church every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, trying to incorporate into your family life prayer together as a family. I mentioned that um, that St. Teresa of Kolkata said, the family that prays together stays together. And I believe that that's really true. So incorporating some form of family prayer, it can be something very simple with small children, uh, just a little night offering, maybe a reflection on the day, what are the things you're thankful for, maybe say to God a few things you're sorry for. It's very simple. It can be very simple. It could uh, be it, saying grace. It could be just every, obviously every saying grace before a meal is a key place to start. But forming something where there's a moment where we sit down together and this is about prayer and this is about talking to God. This is about something that a relationship that we hold dear and that we need to communicate with God our thankfulness, our gratefulness, our sorrow, our, our praise, and, and, and all that sort of thing. I think that's really key. Just to, you know, augment what you're saying, I, I think 
most families do that and they understand like at night, like to do the bedtime prayers. It's like the very first prayers a young child will learn, right? And even parents that are not practicing their faith or practicing Catholics will know, say your bedtime prayers, you know? Because sometimes parents feel uncomfortable just sitting down and doing a rosary or, or let's, hey guys, let's, let's get together and pray together. You know, for some reason, outside of your bedtime prayers, doing prayers as a family becomes awkward, you know, unless you do it consistently. Right. So I think the thing that is important is to push past the burn, as we would tell somebody when they're working out. Mm -hmm. You got to get past the place where it's uncomfortable anymore. And and that takes doing it regularly and forming a new habit. New habits are always hard when Mm -hmm. they start. It's always difficult and awkward. Here's another idea. So many popes and saints have recommended the family rosary. It's simple. You don't have to get creative or make up prayers off the top of your head. And yet it's one of the most powerful prayers that there is. So perhaps you start with one decade each night instead of the traditional five and build up from there as your comfort level grows. A family rosary could really be something transformative for families, I think. Yeah. I I think most parents um, today with uh, the uh, conflicting messages and and the distractions and the bombardment that the culture is putting on the family, really dividing the family in many cases. I think uh, uh, parents welcome ways to strengthen the family, and they don't know how to do it. Actually, it's interesting because this very conversation can connects with that priestly mission of Christ that the family is supposed to participate in. And that is to be a community in dialogue with God. What does the priest do? He leads the people in prayer and worship. The priest is the mediator between the people and God. He is the one who intercedes on behalf of the people, who brings their concerns and lifts them in the mass especially, but also in his own personal prayers to the Father. So this idea of a community in dialogue with God is the priestly mission of the family. And by developing a, a good prayer life as a family, that's that's a, a very powerful and profound way of actualizing that part of the mission. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think you you'd said it a bit earlier where it's just like anything. If you want to get good at a sport, you know, you know, you have to really practice it. It's almost like you have to create a habit. You have to create a virtue to get into the routine so it becomes second nature. And uh, for those parents that are listening, I would strongly encourage that, that, you know, if you're yearning for uh, some form of unity or strengthening your family, because as your children get older, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of things that will pull your kids away from the family. And really the faith in God is the very thing that will uh, keep your family intact. Yeah. And and another way you could do that is to try to do some service together as a family. That's a great idea. Because I think if you That's can right. do some community service together, people are comfortable with doing good things for other people. Mm-hmm. They might be a little less comfortable with praying together, and they should get comfortable with praying together. But mm-hmm. but they're, a good place to start is what really winds up being the kingly mission of the church and of the domestic church as a result, which is to be a community at the service of, of humanity, to, to offer itself to make the lives, especially of the poor and the marginalized, easier. I think all in all, this idea is that the, the family is really kind of like a church in miniature. 
I think that this is all what the family is supposed to be in the world. And then what that does is that makes family life something dynamic, not static. Right. It, it, it's almost like a, a a blueprint for how we should be living our lives as a family. And we realize that our family isn't just about us. It's about God and it's about others. It's about sharing the good news of God's love with the world. Yeah. Amen. Well, listen, Dave, thanks a lot for this conversation. It's very informative. And I think it's probably one of the most important things about our faith is the strengthening of our family. Yes, I agree. All right. Till next time. So uh, for today's mystery guest, I'm going to call uh, an old friend, uh, Father Daniel O'Malane. He is the pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Booton, New Jersey. And let me tell you, they are doing some amazing things out there. He is um, he's a good man, uh, and he's really engaging uh, the parish in these difficult times. Um, Hello. Father Dan. Hey, Mario. What's going on? Hey, how are you? I'm, I'm trying to good. surprise you, but you have caller ID, right? <laughs> does, yeah, exactly. It doesn't work. Listen, uh, this is a this is going to be a surprise call for you because you know I'm doing this podcast and you are my surprise caller today. Are, are you into it? Will you be on my podcast? Yeah, sure. How long do you, how long do you need? I need you maybe three four hours. Is that okay? <laughs> I'm only kidding. Just a couple minutes. I just want to ask some questions. And you're doing yeah. some great work out there in Booton with your church there, and uh, yeah. um, it, it's it's amazing. Uh, you, you're plowing through the yeah. pandemic and and hearing confessions outdoors and doing mass outdoors. God bless you. It's wonderful. So I have, a, I have a couple of questions because, you know, in the midst of all this craziness that we're experiencing in our culture, uh, just uh, families are, uh, you know, having difficulty just staying connected to our faith, to our mm-hmm. church. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you see the hope lies? I mean, how can we deliver hope as a church to the church, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, we do exist to be a light to the world. I think sometimes we we forget that if we are going to be light to the world, we're probably going to have to encounter some darkness. And then I think if there's any hope at all, it's in the cross. It's in Jesus. Yeah. And that work of reconciliation is, um, you know, that work of, I don't know, the, the manifestation of, of divine love that the cross is, has to be lived out. Uh, the victory that Jesus has won, the kingdom that he's inaugurated now has to be implemented. And it's it's implemented in much the same way that uh, that it was inaugurated. So, you know, I know for our kind of um, modern or contemporary American experience, you know, it, it tends towards comfort, perhaps. The, the great narrative of Christianity is is other than that. It's uh, it's a narrative of greatness, sure, um, but it's it's a narrative of you know, love that is willing to suffer with the other. And mm. um, that's the way God has achieved reconciliation uh, with us, the restoration of our relationship with him. And and that's the way I think we're going to go about building up his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, that's beautiful, Father. Thank you. Um, are you finding it uh, in your ministry, in your church, that families uh, seem confused and, and having difficulty just 
just keeping their families together, staying positive and in trying to stay faith filled? It's a really good, great question because I think that that is the experience of, of so many people. I think that it's probably the experience of us as isolated individuals and the sense in, in our community, at least the feedback that I get, um, is that we're in it together. Right. Knowing that is sort of an assurance that, you know what, it's tough not only for me, but it's tough for everyone. Yeah. And, and unity yeah. kind of helps pull us through it. You know, given that, the family is important. So what do you think about mm-hmm. the importance of the domestic church? Essentially, the domestic church is the bedrock mm-hmm. of our church, right? Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. how important is it? Yeah, I think I mean it's it's vitally important. I think um familial relations give us an opportunity to to give, not just to receive. And so there have to be opportunities within say the the family of families, which is the parish, uh, to both give and receive. You know, the family has to be served. It's it's an interesting thing when we're looking at reinvigorating the life of the church. Yes, we have to look at, we're, we're looking at families, we're looking at the church as, uh, say, the particular parish as a, a mission outpost of the larger uh, movement. If we see it in that context, uh, then the church has to serve the family, right. because it is the fundamental building block of society, right, right. but it's the echoes of the, of the economy. And, you know, we don't have to celebrate too many marriages to realize that the marriage is at the service of the church. If we say then that the married couple exists to bring God's love to life, one for each other, but then to have that life bear fruit in, in progeny and faith and faithfulness, uh, then we see we don't, we don't really want to take each individual. We want to take, say, people in their context. And family is our first context. Each and every one of us is born into a family. That's beautiful. Listen, uh, Father, uh, thank you for uh, being my mystery guest this week. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I want to let you know that we pray for you. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm I'm, I'm sure you you know this, that members of our team, you know, uh, frequent your mass. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. God bless you. Thank you for for your vocation, man. Yeah, good to talk to you. So today's podcast guest is Teresa Tamio. She is a syndicated Catholic talk show host. She is an author of numerous books and an international speaker. She has a daily morning show on Ave Maria Radio, which is called The Catholic Connection. She also frequently appears on a show on EWTN, which is called The Catholic View for Women. Let's welcome Teresa. So, Teresa, thank you so much for uh, joining us and being part of our podcast. It's an honor. It's, it's so much fun to meet you. I know you've had a very long, successful career, you know, in Catholic media, uh, on radio and television. But I'd like our listeners just to get a little bit of a uh, sort of a backstory on Teresa. So tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and, and, and how you became this spokesperson on the Catholic faith. Well, I was actually born on the East Coast. My roots are in New Jersey, Jersey City, and my family was transferred because of my father's job to Michigan when I was about five. So I was raised uh, in Michigan, in the Detroit area, where I still live and work with um, my husband, Deacon Dominic, and went to a wonderful Catholic school. It's actually still our parish, and that's where I found um, my vocation, and Mm. that's where I first fell in love with Jesus. I have very good lay and religious teachers 
who taught me the faith, and we had a very good school, but the pull of the world uh, was strong, very strong. And even back then, and this was in the 70s, it was too much for me, and I, I eventually fell away from the faith, went to high school, went on to have a very successful four years in college, and then went off to start working in the media. And met my husband. I never. I said I was never going to get married. Mm-hmm. I was very much a feminist. Of course, you know, what's that saying? That if you want to make God laugh, make plans. I should have known God was in charge a week after I graduated. I met my my future husband. Mm-hmm. And we'll be married uh, 37 years in September, oh, God believe bless. it or not. Wonderful. Thanks be to God. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to make a very long story um, short, for time's sake, we we're both very successful professionally pretty early on. And the world took over our lives and our egos and I got in the way of things. We came very close to divorce. Um, my husband was reintroduced to Christ by a friend of mine in broadcasting of all things, started to go to a men's Protestant Bible study and just became on fire again about God and the faith. And then I lost a very prominent position that forced me to look myself in the mirror. And I was unemployed um, from the TV news business for about six months. And that was the time I had some real self-reflection. And gradually, Dominic brought me into the Bible study. They turned it into a couple's Bible study. We gradually made our way back into the church and decided to leave the secular media in 2000 because I felt the Lord calling me out to do something different with my skills. And I've been um, on Ave Maria, Catholic Radio, EW10, the Catholic Group for Women, for 18 years, believe it or not. And it's been an amazing journey, amazing journey. That's awesome. It's funny how uh, God uh, often brings us to our knees to reveal really what our mission and plan is. I had similar stories in my life where you hit rock bottom and all of a sudden, you know, God reveals to you, well, you know, you need to make a little bit of a left turn and that left turn is toward me. So that's beautiful, your story. So I I know in your work, um, you talk a little bit, you talk a lot about actually the Catholic teachings uh, of the Mm -hmm. church on faith, marriage, family, especially as it relates to our culture. I mean, can you share a little bit about that and and how you convey that message? Yeah, well, the show is called uh, Catholic Connection and it's on Monday through Friday. But my background is in news, as, as you know, and so I always try to be very topical and tie the faith into everyday matters. Obviously, we talk about the teachings of the Church. I'm a big pro-life activist. I cover the March for Life every year for EWTN. So we cover all kinds of topics. I interview authors. But the whole idea is to help people carry their faith uh, into the world every single day. What does it mean, as one of my titles of my books is, to become a 24-7 Catholic? So it means getting up in the morning, offering your your day over to God, doing the scriptures, the mass readings, making prayer a central part of your life, and looking at everything, as we say at Catholic Radio, through the lens of the scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church. In other words, you know, Catholic is not just something we do on the weekends. It has to form our worldview if we're serious about it. God has to be first. That's amazing. That's great. So today's podcast, the theme is about the domestic church and the family. And mm-hmm. and I know you speak about it, you know, the family is under attack. Can you just uh, elaborate and let us know how the culture sees the family today and what we need to do as Catholics to overcome what the perception of family is? Well, John Paul II said uh, basically that, you know, um, the way the family goes, so goes the world and the nation and the world. And I think we can see that. I mean, if we look in, in some of the problems, um, if you talk to anyone who works in prison ministry, and I've done many interviews with deacons and chaplains, uh, you see so many people, especially men, um, and this lack of fatherhood that's out there in our communities, and that, that's a huge issue. The sexual revolution has infiltrated everything, uh, the so-called sexual revolution, and families 
need to be this stronghold and to build up build up their children and build up each other as, as husband and wife as much as possible. Because, look, back in the 70s, think about this, okay? We didn't have the Internet, obviously. We didn't have a thousand channels, satellite, social media. And I was still so influenced when I was a child and went into, you know, communications and, and got very caught up in feminism in college and this was back, I graduated from college in 1981, so I mean, come on, if I was so influenced by it before we had anything that we have now, imagine what the media are doing to, to families. And the evidence is there. My first book was called Noise, and it was just loaded with statistics and with tons of research on the impact of the culture on family. And we see it on marriage, we see it in our kids, and you know, we see what's happening. Just look at the streets right now. How many of these kids are out there not really understanding what they're involved in. Now, there are some peaceful protesters who are very concerned about very legitimate issues, but then there are others who are getting involved in this radical fringe, and there's a lot of anger, and you wonder what happened, what happened in school, what happened in the home, and we can just look all around us and see the fallout of the broken family. Yeah, yeah. You had said uh, early on you were a feminist, and I know that you have this show on EWTN called The Catholic View for Women. So mm-hmm. what, do you, what is your view of a woman's role within the context of a family? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's uh, so, so important. And I think it's, it's um, a different role than a man's, but I think it's equally as important. And I think the woman brings to, to the family her feminine genius, as John Paul II talked about, the nurturing aspect. And this is for... Women, uh, I don't have any children. My husband and I um, couldn't have children, but I still consider myself a spiritual mom, and I bring that femininity to our relationship, and I think it's very important to understand who we are. John Paul II said, be who you are, picking up from St. Catherine of Siena. If you are who you were meant to be, you'll set the world on fire. So who are we? We are um, God's, you know, most loved creatures, his, his greatest creation, made in his image and likeness. Yeah. So if we know who we are, male and female, and understand the, the, the uniqueness, then I think then we start from that and we bring that to the relationship. And so I think leadership in different ways, um, you know, I think there are some things that we share uh, and exchange roles. I mean, uh, it doesn't have to be where there's this traditional role and the woman only does the cooking and the rearing of the children. I think both participate in that. And in terms of taking care of the home, for me and my husband, we both do that. Uh, but I think just in the... Um, in the decision-making process, I look a lot to my husband because his wisdom, and he is a, uh, as a man, as a father figure, and is a leader of the home in a good way, not in a bad way. And mm-hmm. I don't feel any threat by that. I don't feel any oppression because I know he is who he is as a man of God, and he ha- he's going to sacrifice, as it says, you know, everybody freaks out about Ephesians, and, but doesn't realize that it's calling the men to basically sacrifice their lives for the family and for, right. and for the church. That's right. And so if you understand that scripture— and you understand how God is represented in your spouse, and you should have no problem, you know, submitting to each other, this constant giving of each other, this mm-hmm. emptying of self to each other in terms of the covenant. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I have to say, I think you and I are probably around the same age. It sounds like you graduated high school and college around the same time, and uh, I've never experienced a time as we're experiencing today uh, with our culture. No, no, you're right. Yeah. Families are divided. Our country is polarized. There seems to be little hope out there. But the reality is hope is alive. 
And there, there are thousands of apostolates working hard to evangelize and infuse hope into our culture. The work here that we do at Array of Hope and in your work, you're trying to evangelize that there is hope in Jesus Christ. So how could you leave some hope with our listeners that, you know, uh, in the end, we win, right? Well, we all, we all read the, we, hopefully we all read the good book and we know that we win in the end, but in the That's meantime, right. we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. I, I read a beautiful reflection um, in the Magnificat for our recent um, gospel, and it was from a French blessed, Elizabeth Lussou, I'd never heard of her before. And she was talking about uh, the fact that it, we have to, as a mustard seed, we have to just keep constantly working on our own growth. And so there is always hope in Jesus. Jesus is the same as Hebrew says, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. And we know the Church, I just talked about this recently on my radio show, the Church has gone through, this isn't our first rodeo in terms of problems, division, uh, even scandals, great scandals. I mean, right. if you look at the time of St. Catherine of Siena, uh, what she went through uh, was tremendous scandal. Right. And so it's not like there was ever a perfect golden age of the Church. Uh, I don't know where a lot of people get this idea, but read the Book of Acts and you'll get a pretty clear picture that it was never all hunky-dory. <laughs> right from the beginning. Um, <laughs> From the beginning. And so, but we do know that Jesus Christ founded the church on the rock, St. Peter, and he promised us that the gates of hell would not prevail against us. And so there's always, there's hope in that because Jesus uh, you know, lives up to his word. He speaks truth and he's not going to abandon us. He, he gave us the Eucharist. And all the, what, what really gives me hope, let me tell you, Mario, is the fact that God has proven correct so many times. All you have to do is look at the news. And if you ever see a story about, um, for example, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and what that does to a person, not only physically, but emotionally. What happens when you go against, the article may not say they're going against church teaching or Christian teaching in general, but by not following this, you know, understanding the proper nature of where sexuality is supposed to be in the family and in the home with the husband and the wife, you can see the craziness of what happens and, and the emotional problems and the breakups and the baggage that people struggle with when they're thinking that the answer is found in uh, only sexual pleasure. You see that over and over again. Mm -hmm. There was a recent study that came out that looked at abstinence and NFP and how much happier those couples were compared to those who were using birth control. I, I mean, and this is, these are studies that are out there in, in the secular culture but people have been, and I was for many years, you know, brainwashed to think that the world knew better than the church. And even with the issue of abortion, I mean, how many more testimonies and Abby Johnson's and Dr. Bernard Nathanson's and Dr. Leventino's do we have to hear from until we realize what this does to people? Not only the innocent life of the child, but the, 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 uh, the breakdown of the relationship, the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of the, the individual person, the woman, the man associated with an abortion, on and on and on. So my hope is that I know these teachings are true because I lived them, all right? I, I never had an abortion, thanks be to God, but I didn't believe everything the Church taught for a long time. And I, you know, um, was away from the Church for many years, and my husband and I didn't practice the faith, and we had to go to confession and get rid of all that icky stuff, and our lives were miserable. On the outside, it looked like everything was perfect. And I guess you could say for a while, I thought we were, you know, relatively happy. You know, we were making money, we were, had the jobs and whatnot, and on the outside, we looked like the it couple. But on the <laughs> inside, we were never satisfied. We we're always searching for more. So that's what gives me hope, because I know the church is what she teaches is true. The saints give me hope. And what an honor, as scary and as frustrating as it is right now, what an honor to be alive in yeah. this time. God chose us to be alive in this time where we can really make a difference, and people are hungry for God. They're yeah. hungry for God. They're looking for Him, they're looking for meaning to life, and they're realizing that 
all the things that maybe they grew up with, even if they didn't have a perfect situation at home, are being attacked right now more than ever before. It used to be subtle. Now it's like a blatant attack on, on the family and on everything that we hold near and dear. So we just have to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Whatever that is, that could mean for you making sure you're doing the best you can do in the domestic church. I do think that all of us, though, at this time, because it is, you're right, I've never seen our country like this. I do think that we're all being called to really um, go further, though, in addition to first taking care of ourselves and our homes and our families, that we're, we're called to go out there in the community and do what we can right now to be a voice of truth and light because people need to hear it. But there's always hope because we have Jesus. That's right. Hey, listen, Teresa, yeah. thank you so much to sharing your your thoughts with us. It's been a pleasure uh, being with you, and I wish you all the best in all your programs and all your work. So God bless you and your husband, and we're going to pray for you here at Array of Hope, and we'll pray that you continue to spread the gospel with so much hope and vigor uh, because the culture needs it. Amen. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Mario, from a fellow, uh, one fellow Italian-American to the other. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks again. God bless you. You too. Yeah, that was a fun interview. I hope you've learned something. I certainly did. So I want to share a couple of things with you. You know, on the news lately, um, I have to say it's been kind of depressing, right? Watching television and there seems to be a daily deflation of our joy and the spirit of our joy when it comes to current events. These are times of uncertainty and our peace is challenged every day. They almost make our future seem somewhat hopeless. I believe, however, we cannot assume the outcome of things or worry about what has not even happened yet. If we try to predict the future too much, it's gonna become a burden. We can't jump to any negative conclusions of how things might turn out. We need to deal with what is in front of us right now, and that's enough. We need to put things in the light of eternity. If we look at our recent history, really it's just a repetition of ancient history. Evil rises up. It has its moments, it exploits, it hurts and harms, but then it dies down. The evil one wants to discourage us. He wants to take our freedom. He wants to take our joy. And this often limits our ability to live richly and to give generously in the moment. Our job is to be faithful through it. Jesus says every day is enough for itself. Let's focus on the reality of what needs to be done right now. And that reality is loving our spouses, being attentive to our children and our families. Live in the now. I believe we should be celebrating during this time so we can be part of the solution, to be part of the light. And remember, the victory is assured. So we talked about a lot of things in this podcast, and you might have some questions on the teachings of the Catholic Church, or maybe some concerns about the church. I would love you to send an email to us at podcasts at arrayofhope.net, and Dr. David Heideck will respond in an upcoming podcast and try to answer your question. This podcast is only possible by donors and supporters of Array of Hope. You can also become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. So please join us at our next podcast with a whole new theme, new guests, new surprise calls, and new discussions with David Heideck and myself. Our theme next week will be Love Includes the Human Body. And we have a wonderful person lined up for you next time. It's Lisa Hendy, the founder of Catholic Mom. This is going to be a fun show. You shouldn't miss it. So thanks a lot for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Cause hope can